There are two great mysteries at the center of our Christian faith. The first one is that Jesus Christ is God. And the second one is that, that one God is a trinity of persons. And both of these mysteries are fully expressed in today's gospel and in today's celebration. First, the full revelation of the divinity of Christ. It can be seen, first of all, in his claim to possess all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he says. And omnipotence is the most obvious characteristic of God, all-powerful. It is contained in the very definition of God, and God alone, only God, is omnipotent. And it's self-evident that no one but God can be all-powerful. And that is precisely what Jesus claims to, to be, to have received all power in heaven and on earth. In the second place, Jesus expresses his divinity when he sends his disciples to teach all nations, to observe all that I command you. He is the divine lawgiver, not only for one people, but for all nations. And this is another quality that we evidently ascribe to God and God alone. Who else can give a law for all people, for all nations, with that authority? Only he has the authority to establish absolute and universal laws. Go and teach what I commanded you. But we see the divinity of Christ most clearly in this, that the disciples, the 11 disciples, worship him. He had risen from the dead and appeared to them for 40 days. And now, in the moment of his solemn departure, they fell down and worship him. And I think we can't miss the force of Matthew, he's the most Jewish of the gospel writers, using this strong language, they worship him. Because the disciples were all faithful Jews. Even Peter, who seems to us so unstable, was able to say in the Acts of the Apostles, never in my life I have eaten something unclean he received that vision. Never in my life, he says. So if he was so strictly faithful to this dietary laws, it is unthinkable that he would have been unfaithful to the one supreme law, law of Israel. You shall worship God and God alone. We heard it in the first reading from the book of Deuteronomy. This is why you must know and fix in your heart that the Lord is God in the heavens above and on the earth below, just like the words that Jesus used. And that there is no other, only God. And faithful Jews recited this truth in the Shema Israel every day. The Lord, your God, is God alone. It was this truth that gave rise to the central precept of Israel. Worship only God. No idolatry. And the worship of the one true God was what defined Israel as a nation and set them apart from both polytheists and atheists around them. It is true that in their day, there were no, there were no atheists as we find them today, 
but polytheism is actually, if we think about it, closer to atheism than to monotheism. To believe in many gods amounts or is closer than to believe in no god than to believe in the one true god. And this is because believing in many gods is as if we don't believe in the true god at all. Because there can only be one true god by definition. If divine power is divided among a pantheon of gods, no one of them is god. No one of them is the absolute source and creator of the universe of whom everything comes by an act of his will. He's, we read in the Bible, he said it and things came to be. Sure, there are other powerful and mysterious beings which exercise their influence over our world. world. We call them angels and demons. But these powerful beings are infinitely less than God, much more closer to, to us, because they are creatures, created realities. The only true God transcends created realities beyond the universe as we know it, beyond what is created. He's not one more being, one more force, however powerful, within the universe. So he's the only one true God, and worship belongs to him alone. Jews, Jewish knew this very well. So it's not surprising that Matthew, after telling us that they worship him, he says, but they doubt it. They worship, but they doubt it. Because all that they saw is a man, a human being, someone that, he, that they were able to touch, with whom they were able to eat and drink, someone who they saw thirsty, and who knew their names, and with whom they spent three years, someone who they saw uh, crucified and dead. And true, he was alive now, so that was a strong proof of his claims, but still he was in a human form, even if glorious. So how can this man be God, the eternal God, the creator of everything. He seems so like one of us. So they did worship him because they saw him risen from the dead, but they doubted. They were, they were a little puzzled until they received the fullness of revelation with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So this is the first great mystery manifested in today's gospel, that Jesus Christ is God all-powerful on heaven and earth, resurrected from the dead, worshipped by his apostles, sending them to all the nations to teach in his name with all authority. But as soon as we affirm that Jesus Christ is God, the second great mystery irresistibly emerges. The one God is a trinity of persons. Because Jesus tells us not only that he is God, but that God is his Father. He says, the Father and I are one. But he never says, I am the Father. On the contrary, he says that he was sent by the Father, that he loves the Father, that he honors the Father, that he prays 
to the Father. That he obeys the Father. But yet, he says that they are one. Not the same person, but the same God. And though we don't have time to explore it now, he also tells us clearly that there's another person who is equally one with the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. He names the three when he sends the disciples out to baptize at the end of the gospel in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It would be strange if the Holy Spirit were not God to name him with the Father and the Son in that solemn occasion in the same way. And he often speaks out of the Holy Spirit that he will lead the disciples to the fullness of truth and that the Holy Spirit would sanctify and divinize them, fill them with divine life. Okay, so let us go back when I contrasted monotheism and polytheism. And we said that the idea of there being more than one God is incoherent with the same idea of God. Because God is limitless, infinite. So if you have a pantheon of gods, you can distinguish them by their powers, each one having a little bit of what it pertains to, to be divine. One would be the God of lightning, the other the God of the rivers, the other God of love, and so on. But if there were true gods, which is impossible, there would be no difference between one and the other, since both are infinitely, or everyone would be infinite, perfect in every way, infinitely powerful, infinitely knowledgeable, infinitely wise. It doesn't make any sense. So I bring this not to give a philosophical argument, but to make a simple point that we do not believe in three gods, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe in one God, in three persons. And also to make this further point, that the three persons are not distinguished from one another by some quality or characteristic that the others lack. It isn't that the Father is the powerful and the Son is the kind and the Holy Spirit is the wise. They all are infinitely powerful, infinitely kind, infinitely wise, because all of three are one God. So we can ask ourselves now, why does this matter? Why do we need to know this? Seems a little lofty for our daily concerns. Well, there's one Sunday that we need to remember that God is one God in three persons. And it's good to know because he revealed this to us, but it's much more important than that. I think that nothing really matters more than this. Because if you think about it, the doctrine of the Trinity was revealed to us late in time, lately. We, we've known this only for 2,000 years, not much. But it was always true. God could have established different natural laws. He could have made masses repel one another rather than attract one another. He could have made humans pure spirits rather than with a body and a soul. He could have created a very different universe. But long before every contingent thing was created and for all eternity, he is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
From him we come, and to him we are headed. And if you think about it, once it has been revealed to us, because we couldn't have guessed this on our own, but once it has been revealed to us that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it makes so much sense. It is so beautiful that God is one, it couldn't be otherwise, but not lonely. God is love, communion, joy, beauty, life, interpersonal reality. One God, three persons, from whom everything that exists comes. And when we begin to pay attention, we see glimpses of this. For example, in the human family, in, in, the, in the reality of our human love, love brings two people together into one. It's an analogy, it's not the same, but we see that. The Holy Spirit is the love of God, the love between the Father and the Son. And the Trinity is the destiny of our pilgrimage. This is where we are headed, as, we, as I said before. We are created for this. The Catechism of the Catholic Church says, it pleased God in his goodness and wisdom to reveal himself and to make known the mystery of his will. His will was that men should have access to the Father through Christ, the Word made flesh in the Holy Spirit and thus become sharers in the divine nature. He wanted us to be sharers in the divine nature. So right now we struggle to wrap our minds around the mystery, but one day we are going to be wrapped in it, wrapped in it, immersed in this, lost in this. We will be complete sharers in this mystery. Remember Archbishop Blasny, he was an, the former Archbishop of Portland, whom I know very well. He shared with me a story. He was visiting Cardinal George. Cardinal George was, had been the Archbishop of Chicago for many years and was a leading figure in the church in America, a man of great faith and a lot of influence. And he was in his, uh, bed, in his deathbed, was dying. So they, were, they had been classmates when they were young, so Archbishop Lasny went to see him, and Cardinal George said to him, I am so curious. He was about to die, and he knew it, but all that he could articulate, I'm so curious, I wanna, I wanna know, I wanna see what I believe my whole life. I, I, I found it remarkable, almost as if wishing, rushing into this encounter. Faith. It's okay, we have faith, it's good, it's a great gift to have faith, but it's a little bit like dating through Catholic match. You want to see face to face the person. Online dating is okay, we can take it, but it's not the real thing. So we can imagine what it will be like when the veil is torn and we see God diving into the ocean of the Trinity, being immersed in the love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Being admitted into that conversation as a son or a daughter long awaited. 
being welcomed home with Jesus receiving us and taking us to the Father and saying to us, come, good and faithful servant. But the better news, I don't know if it's better, but also very good, is that this communion with the triune God that we will hopefully experience one day face to face begins now through grace. That's what Jesus says in gospel, and behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. He not only promises that he will receive us, but he stays. So grace is precisely that, it's participation in the divine nature. We are called to dwell in the Trinity. For example, in the Mass, we say, through him and with him and in him, this is Christ, no, who is there in the host. O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. It's a proclamation that we want to live for Christ, with Christ, in Christ, to the Father, as sons and daughters. All glory and honor to him with the, through the grace of the Holy Spirit. That moment of the Mass is an expression of how our life should be of our vocation. We are called to live like that. Through Christ, with Christ, in Christ. Before the Father, through the Holy Spirit. And this is a reality. We often begin our prayers in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, right? But not only our prayers. We can do that even if we don't do it physically before beginning every single thing in our daily life. We can do it in the name, in the presence, in, in, in communion with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. I'm sure you have seen one of those soccer games when the players begin, no, do this before playing. It might be a little superstitious, but who can judge? The reality is that they want to play in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just in case. But we can do better than that. We can, we can do it with real faith. To live like that, we just sang holy, holy, holy three times. Because it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we end our prayer saying glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. It's really present in our lives. And today is the moment to remember this beautiful truth and to reorient our life to the glory, to the honor of the Father in Christ, with Christ, through the Holy Spirit.